well, there's nothing that you really can do about it because you, you feel so helpless, like you, you're there in support, but there's really nothing that you can do about it. And it was like to the point to where like, I, I know like I sat there and I sit up there and said a little silent prayer to myself, thinking that, you know, like, God, like, please let this work out in your best benefit in order for us to save both lives. What makes the journey worth it? The pain, the adversity, the opposition, the challenges, the uncertainty. Why do I have to go through this? What's the lesson in this? I got a paralyzed right arm and hand. The million dollar question I get every single day is you wouldn't change what happened to you, why? Serendipity, join us for insightful dialogues about not just successes, but about failures, opposition, adversities that shape and mold the individuals to who they are today. I'm Inky Johnson. This is Serendipity. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Serendipity with Inky Johnson. Uh, today's guest is a friend of mine, Sinclair Cannon. You know, he's a proud, proud father of two, Oakland and Clark. He's a former collegiate athlete. But man, I can't wait till you guys hear his perspective and his insight. And so we're going to get right into it. Sinclair Cannon, what's up, my brother? What's up, Ink man? How you doing? Man, I'm well. I'm well. You know, man, I'm big on gratitude. And so first and foremost, man, I just want to say thanks for your time. I greatly appreciate it. No problem at all, man. Like you said, I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to top it up with you on this platform here. Even though we top it up on on uh, texts and group chats all the time, it's, it's great to actually see your face since this whole pandemic thing going on. <laughs> We're not able to see each other regularly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, Kenny, just a little context, man, about, you know, why I started this platform. And we've, we've spoken about it briefly, but, you know, serendipity, right? I feel as if, you know, in life, man, a lot of times we encounter situations, circumstances, adversity and opposition or things that we feel as if in the moment they're not going to work to our benefit. And then more times mm -hmm. than not, we get to certain places in our life to where when we look back, on those same exact moments, we're thankful and we're grateful for them. I always reflect back to my injury, right? A lot of people say to me all the time, how can you be thankful for it, right? It's the serendipity in the moment, right? The man that I am, the father, the husband that I am, right? This injury has shaped 90% of how I live my life and how I treat people. And so something happened to you, man, I'll never forget when we were in college, and it was a wake up call to me, right? And a lot of people may not know this, but we were roommates in college, right? Like we rock, went out, hung out all the time. But I'll never forget, man, when you got into your car accident when we were in college, headed back home to South Carolina. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, man. Like um, it was right whenever we first, our first collegiate season was over with. Um, we just got back from playing Texas A&M. And then I think we had probably about a week or two before we had to go back up and start spring training or so. And like uh, we were coming back from the thing, but I just remember it was on a Sunday. I just had my um, my my Sunday dinner. So I had baked chicken, hmm. macaroni and cheese, hmm. collard greens and cornbread. Because that's something that my dad Kennedy. always liked. You remember that meal? <laughs> Man, I remember the whole meal, man. I just remember everything about that day because it was kind of like one of those little odd days, you know. And it was like, um, it was, it just felt like it was kind of odd because I remember like, um, after that, I was like, oh, I'm going to take a little quick nap or whatever. It was like a 30 minute nap or something. 
And then I remember my dad sitting there saying, like, man, you know, like it's starting to rain. So you need to go ahead and get up on the road and all that stuff because, you know, I kind of worry about you going through the, the mountains and stuff. Well, going through the gorge because we had to go through the gorge then. So um, I'm like, all right, cool. So I go ahead and get it. I was uh, getting in my car. It's 1988 Honda Accord. Um, it's gray, four-door sedan. First car I owned. And like, um, I remember going there. And I had I was listening to uh, CeeLo Green, CeeLo Green. Um, I was listening to his his CD because I kind of like his to ride out to or so his music to ride out to. So I listened to that one. And then it was like um, I'm driving along the road. It was started to drizzle. By the time I started to get towards the mountains, it started raining a little bit heavily. So I was like, all right, well, let me go ahead and just chill and try to like relax and everything along those lines to to, you know, be kind of cool with it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was um, riding, and then it just seemed like, you know, like something was about to happen because everything slowed down. It was like the, the music got quieter. Like, I could look left and right and all this stuff, but it seemed like everything's in slow motion. Mm. So, next thing I know, like, the car hydroplane, I hit a wet spot in the car hydroplane. Wow. It hydroplaned, and, like, um, I'm looking, still grinning the steering wheel, looking at um, this tree come towards me. So I was like, all right, man, like I have either one or two options. Either I can just sit here and take the brace of the impact, or either I can just sit up there and jump and pray something happens or whatever. Mm. So um, while we're going through the air, and it's all just happening in a split second, I look to my left, I look to my right, and I just sit up there, open the, the door, and just jump out of the car as, as fast as I could, push out the thing. Mm. So when I came to, like I checked myself to see if anything was happening. So I looked, um, I felt blood coming from the top of my head. So I had a scar right up over here. So I had glass in, in um, my head right there. Then I had my, I don't know this scar right here, but in between my nose, it was cut. Mm-hmm. And like, I looked at my ankle and stuff and I had a big old gash in my ankle. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm still alive. So I still can move a little bit. So I walked up to, this lady's house. I knocked on the door. No one came. Wow. So then I'm like, okay, well, let me go ahead and see if I can go to another person's house. So I, I went to another person, I right? I ain't, I ain't trying to cut you off, but I didn't know you had walked up to somebody's house or some people's houses when that happened. Yeah, man. It was like, it was one of those things because it was happening like someone's front yard. Oh, so wow. what, what happened was it was like, um, it was like a little small little cliff that was down there going around the curve. Gotcha. So like, um, and still to this day, like I still go by and visit every once in a while, mm. but like now it's like a little overgrown shrubbery and stuff that was there now. But, um, I went and talked with another, well, went to the next, next person's house. She ended up, well, I ended up knocking on the door. She came to the door and uh, looked at the blinds, but she, I guess she was in total shock because I was all bloody and muddy and stuff that where she didn't even like, um, come to my rescue or anything. She wouldn't move from the door. She wouldn't call the police or anything. Mm. So then like, um, I went up to the street. I walked up to the street, waving people down. People just looked at me and just kept on going and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm about to slip here and die. But then like two doors down, like a black family came and they were like, man, we heard this loud commotion and we came out here and tried to see what was going on. And it was like, um, how are you walking? I was like, what do you mean? They were like, um, have you seen your car? Mm. I was like, no. 
And like, um, so they got me called and settled down and stuff like that. And I looked back over my the accident site and my passenger side door was wrapped around a tree. The back half of the car was split together or split apart. Wow. And then there had like, uh, cause you know, I, I used to drink Yoohoo, Yoohoo chocolate milk and stuff. So I had like Yoohoo cans all over the, the yard. Um, I had like uh, my black and white pinstripe suit. I had that because I was going to bring that out for the for the next year of all walk and stuff. I had that one and um, it was kind of like messed up and all and and um, yeah, that was just basically about it. But then you know, like um, they they were talking with with the people. They got in touch with my parents and stuff, and they were like, uh, "Well, you need to come up to the to the accident site." So they came up to the accident site, and they were like, um, "Where's in?" And he was like, oh, what do you mean? He was like, well, I, I know because my dad's a mortician or so. Mm. And looking at the the the, um, the wreck and all, he was like, well, I, I'm pretty sure he's dead. He was like, no, he's not dead. And like, he was sitting up there just talking with us and all that. He was like, no, there, there's no way. He was like, I've seen so many accidents, you know, accidents over my lifetime. And like with this one here, he should be dead. There's no way in the world he should be alive. So he was like, nah, he was sitting up here telling about it. As a matter of fact, he's the one that told me to call you, but the police came here and do it. And ironically, the policeman who was there um, at the time that was open, get, investigating the scene, he was basically like my, um, he was, I guess you even saw that he was the, like the um, the resource officer that was at our school. So he knew exactly who I was and all that stuff. So it was kind of like oh, God's plan how everything behind up. Hold up. You said the officer... Was the resource officer at your school the officer that was on your accident site? Yep. And so he, he knew was, he who was, you were? He knew who I was. And like he told my parents and told them and I was fine and everything. That's unbelievable, man. You know, like I'll never forget when you did come back, you know, to school and we saw you. Like I'll never forget, man. You had glass in your head still, you know, from the mm-hmm. accident. Like it was still glass. In your head, you know, you had some scrapes on your face and things of that nature. And I think it was a wake up call to all of us, you know, at the time, because when that happened, you know how it was like every weekend when we had a free weekend because the schedule was so compact and we always had something to do that when guys would get a free weekend, everybody trying to go somewhere. Guys trying to go home. If guys can't go home, you want to go home with somebody. You want to just get off campus. And when you got in that accident, I'll never forget, man, when we saw you and you had the glass in your head and you was telling us about it, it was a wake up call to guys like, man, maybe maybe we do need to chill like, and just sit still. How would you say, Ken, and now the space that you're in in your life, you know, as a father, as a man, when you look back on that moment, has it shaped some of your decision makings? Has it shaped your perspective? Like, what do you think about that moment now? that you're on the other side of it. Yeah, well, to, to piggyback on everything you said, it's like, I think it was a miracle for the most part that I didn't break any bones or have any, like, major major injuries as far as, like, torn ACLs or anything along those lines. So, like, that in itself was, was a miracle. But, like, thinking back on it and all, I, I believe that it's to the point to where now you you see, like, well, in my case, for the most part, I've been surrounded by death my whole entire life because of my father, like I mentioned previously, he's a mortician. So like I get to see death in a different perspective or so. 
But like, even though it was like, it's something that never fazed me for the most part because I've been around it, but it's something that I believe that actually now that this has happened was a, a clear sign that, hey, life is precious. And like life is basically what you make of it and stuff. And so like with that one is it makes you appreciate little things more. The communication between friends, mm. you know, like the the stop and the smell of flowers of gardenias. Well, I love gardenias, but the smell of gardenias, the, the solitude of peace, mm. you know, being able to hear, you know, the the, the, the um, rivers and the lakes and stuff, the crashing against the rocks and all mm. being able to sit around and, and watch things grow. As far as like my Lagai son, I'm still around to watch him grow and become, a, you know, a, 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 a athlete that he wants to become. But, you know, all those things could be taken with you without um, without actually ever blinking an eye. And like you never really think about that until something like that happens to you. But like, yeah, like now I just to me, it makes it a point to where I'm able to appreciate the things that I have more. Like I get to appreciate my daughter. I, she wouldn't be here if I wasn't here. Like I, I appreciate my parents and stuff because they're still here. And I still have to get dialogue with them. I appreciate my friends that I, I met in college and also, you know, in high school as well too, and continue on making new new friends and new memories with those, those people as well. So it's like, it's one thing to where, that that kind of like changed the whole aspect of of your whole generation of life because like you're like at that point in time I'm not going to sit and lie it was like because I wasn't playing as much as I thought I would should be playing mm-hmm. especially being one of the top 150 players to ever the greatest players to ever play in the state of South Carolina hold on hold on and Kenna, then, run that back run that back Kenny you was one of the what a one of 150 <laughs> greatest players high school players to ever play in the state of South Carolina. Me Yo. and me and Robert Ayers, yeah. me, Robert Ayers, Hefney is on that list. Wow. Of uh, of being one of the greatest players to ever play in the state of South Carolina. Mm. But you thinking about all these athletes that came from South Carolina, you know, and not not even though like my Tennessee career didn't go as I wanted to go, mm. but you know, you still sitting up there seeing that one. It's kind of bitter for the most part about that one. But then after all that stuff happened, it's like, okay, well it really doesn't matter that much because 10, 15, 20 years from now, people really not going to know your name. No. So it's just basically like something else that you're going to do. Absolutely. That's, um, that's incredible, man, uh, to acquire that perspective because I feel as if a lot of times we waste experiences. Like we've seen it, like people go do something and then it, it brings a certain circumstance, certain consequences in their life. You look up a couple months later, they're doing the same exact thing. Right. It was like some of the guys we went to school with, they would make a mistake and coaches would talk to him. Administration would talk to him and say, hey, man, if you do this again, I'm going to have to kick you out. And a cat would do it again and get kicked out. And you can't understand sometimes when situations and circumstances happen. Why don't people just learn from the experiences, even if it didn't go the way they wanted it to go, extracting something from it. And so, man, mm-hmm. I, I know something about you that a lot of people may not know. Uh, your father, man, you know. New father, relatively new father. How has fatherhood been, Kenneth? Man, fatherhood by far has been the most, the most challenging but most rewarding things as ever as I've ever experienced. To be honest with you, it's like uh, one of those things to where, like, uh, I, I actually see how people say like your 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 heart is basically outside of your body. Mm. You know, with your kids and stuff, and like you, you want to see them succeed. You want to make sure that they reach every green or every dream that they may have. 
It's, it's over there. My bad. Um, good, bro. They, they, um, we all in quarantine, baby. I get it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, man, you, you try to make sure that, you know, everyone is is um, is doing well and all that stuff. But I mean, like having a baby during quarantine well, during COVID and during the pandemic was was difficult, bro. And especially like um, with her being premature, she was two months premature. And like um, so she was born in August. She was supposed to be born in, in October, but she was pre- two months premature. And like with the COVID and things that we really didn't know anything about, you know, how are we going to affect us and stuff? So, like with that, and how well, if you want to, I get into that as well too of how that one yeah, kind of changed heart, everything. Man. Share your heart. All right. Go. So with with um with the COVID thing that's going on, like we end up having our baby and stuff. And so, like since she was two months premature, we weren't able to have the the pictures or all the stuff that you usually have whenever you have a baby or anything along those lines. So like uh, we went, my girl, she was, she was um, experiencing pains that Sunday night. And uh, the first, well, yeah, it was, I think it was the second, August 2nd, she was experiencing stomach pains. So like uh, we were trying to figure out what was going on. We thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe it's something you ate wrong or, you know, maybe it's something that, you know, um, something or, you know, you probably eat something wrong, probably indigestion, something along those lines. So you're like, well, lay back down and you'll be all right or whatever, take a nap or something along those lines. She's like, no, like, like pain is gradually getting worse. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, cool. Well, if it's worse in probably about another hour or two, we're, you know, going to, to the, um, to the doctor. So she was like, no, we need to go ahead and go now. Like, okay, cool. So me being me is like, all right, well, yeah, it probably ain't nothing. It's probably you're just all in your mind or anything along those lines. <laughs> so we go to the hospital. And once we go to the hospital, <laughs> the dude was like, uh, well, you need to go ahead and put on some clothes or whatever. I'm like, what you talking about? He was like, well, you know, we're about to go ahead and deliver this baby. I'm like, hold up. We still have two more months to do this. You're like, nah, uh-uh. Like with her, her, um, with her blood pressure so high and like um, she's at stroke levels now. Like, if we don't get this baby, either she's gone, the baby's gone, or both of them gone. Wow. I'm like, oh, okay, well, um, do what you got to do then, doc. Hold up, Ken. I got to so, ask, ask you something before before you move forward. When when the doctor said that to you, like, I get you saying, all right, doc, do what you got to do. But how did you feel in that moment? Like, what went through your mind emotionally? Like, how did... How did you feel when he said that? Like, the reason I'm asking that is because I remember when the doctor said to me, like, we got to rush you back and perform emergency surgery to save your life. Like, I remember feeling like, like, what? Like, whoa. And so how did you feel in that moment? Exactly. I was like, what? Like, whoa, like, what's going on? It's like, um, is, is everything okay? And it's like, is the point to where now you're, you're thinking about, it's not only like you're your daughter's life that's in jeopardy, but her mother as well, there's that's life in jeopardy as well. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, well, like, um, I know that, you know, you're a faithful man and, and like you're a believing man in Christ and everything. It's like, well, you know, if it's Lord's will, then it's Lord's will. There's nothing that you really can do about it because you, you feel so helpless. Like you're, you're there in support, but there's really nothing that you can do about it. And it was like to the point to where like, I, I know, like I sat there, and I sit up there and said a little silent prayer to myself, 
thinking that, you know, like, God, like, please let this work out in your best benefit in order for us to save both lives. You know, so it was like one of those things there. Man, bro. And, you know, when the baby made it into the world, what was the perspective yeah. then? So whenever, whenever she, well, you know, they, they gave her a steroid shot and so, and then the steroid shot made every, all of her um, vitals start come back down. And then like, we were good, you know, up until about five o'clock the next day, which was that Monday. And then around five o'clock, everything else started happening again. So they did emergency C-section. Hmm. And like, I've been privy to these things, you know, as far as birth giving birth, you know, for the, uh, throughout my life, because I was there whenever my godson was born. I was there whenever my niece was born, but it's a different thing whenever you're doing that with your, with your own child being born. So, so it was like, um, we go through there and of course through COVID, it makes it more difficult because like I had to sit up there and watch everything, um, make sure I was sterile and all. And then, you know, once we go, once we went back there, like, you know, whenever you're, whenever they're doing a C-section, you'll be able to see the baby, hold the baby, cut the umbilical cord and all that stuff. I didn't even get a chance to do that. So like while they're doing, while they're doing all this stuff, you know, like um, making sure she's fine, you know, doing the, um, the C-section, like they got Oakland out and then they end up, um, cutting the umbilical cord and then they rushed her over to the to the side to make sure that she was breathing and all. So the doctor was like, here, take a picture. So I took a picture of her. So they went to go make sure um, uh, she was fine. So they were trying to get her to breathe. And like, um, you know, it took probably about 20 or 30 seconds to get her breathing or so. And then when she finally gasped, I was like, all right, cool. We have life. We have, you know, like now all my worries are gone. But then after that, a doctor was like, well, come with me. So they rushed her to the NICU. And she was in the NICU, you know, for uh, 45 days. But during that whole entire time, like, we couldn't, like, we couldn't. Well, she was on a little oxygen machine for the first, what, six days to do it. So you really couldn't touch her. You couldn't do anything but just sit there and look at it. And then it was like, man, so we... We stayed in the hospital for probably about another five days or so. And like, even with that one, like um, you can only see your baby once, once a day for an hour at that. So we would go, I would go, my, my girlfriend, she would go in the morning and I would go later on that night or so to do it. So when we finally discharged, like um, she would actually go in the morning to go see her while she was on maternity leave. And like, then I was still working, still had football I had to do football coaching and all that stuff. So I only went in the afternoon. Well, after all that stuff going, so I went at like eight or nine. I was, and depending on- Eight or nine at night? At night, yeah. So depending on what she was doing, as far as like trying to breastfeed, hold her, you know, bond with her and stuff like that, like I wasn't able to, to do it. So like, for instance, like she is, she could only be out of, out of her incubator for an hour a day. So if Kinaran, if she was trying to breastfeed or, you know, bond with the baby, then if she used that hour, I couldn't do anything but sit there and look at her. So, so, and that was like for an hour. And 
And with that, dog, it's like one of the scariest, mo- scariest moments is because it's like you want to bond with your baby. You want to sit up there and be happy about it. You want to show off pictures. You want to sit up there and, and, you know, tell everybody, give up updates about how your baby's going and all that stuff. But, like, you will leave there. Like, I would go there. I will read her a bedtime story. And then I'll end up leaving, coming home, and then just all my worries about, okay, so how she's doing, you know, mm-hmm. will she be able to be developing? Okay. And then especially like with COVID that's going on now, do any of the doctors have COVID? Like, um, how is her little body going to fight off COVID if anybody gets, gets around her and stuff like that? And, you know, like, um, like if me coaching right now, going to visit her, you know, is that putting her life in effect? And all that stuff. So some things that you're something asking yourself about is like, wow, it's kind of crazy. But like um, we got through that and then we were able to to um, to bring her home after like 45 days of basically what I just just told you of what we were doing after like 45 days. So whenever we were able to get her home, mm-hmm. uh, it was on a Wednesday. I think it was September 23rd. It's 23rd or 21st. It's one of them days. But um, at 6.30 p.m. after 45 days was the first time I actually held her skin skin. Wow. And it was like, wow. Bro, it's like, um, you know, when I asked you about fatherhood and you said, like, it's been challenging, but it's been beautiful. Like, I think that's the greatest thing about like fatherhood, right? Like when you get children, like you experience a certain type of love that you never knew you possessed, but also just in terms of the growth as a man that you start to experience, right? Like I'm sure in that 45 days, your faith grew. I'm sure your perspective expanded. I'm sure you had to have a level of mental agility while you was carrying on in your career also, you know, with your girl, helping her out, you know, also coaching, helping the kids out. Like that stretches a man in several different areas and aspects um, of life. And so I want I want to get to this point, Cannon, as I, as I wrap us up. Like I, I ask everybody a similar question, right? And what it is with the current climate of what people are facing and going through in the world, right? We got COVID got coronavirus, right? A lot of people are being affected one way or another, right? Directly or indirectly. You got affected, you know, when you had your kid, you know what I'm saying? At the hospital, you couldn't do some of the things that a normal person would get to do when they have a child. What are some words that you would give to people right now that may be going through a challenging or tough time or maybe experiencing something right now, like a 45 days, but in another aspect of life? Not with their kid, but opposition, been laid off 45 days, right? Been going through something with their wife for 45 days, right? Is it a mantra that you live by? Is it a certain thing you say to yourself every single day? Just give the people a word, man, as I as I take us out. My my whole philosophy throughout anything that I've been going through, whether it's been in sports, in life, and even in fatherhood is the simple thing that we've always been telling each other that we've we've known for the for the longest but we never even really discussed it but it's something that was bred into each one of our crew that we always talk about 
it's like tough times don't last, but tough people do. So regardless of, of the situation that you're in, regardless of, of how bleak it may be, how, you know, um, daunting the task may be, it's like if you never, even if you have that faith of a mustard seed, you'll be able to succeed because no one can tell you what to do or how you're going to do it or how to respond or how to react because, like, no one really has been in that situation before then, before you, or probably not that type, that same type of situation or circumstance that you've been in. But I mean, like, regardless of it, as long as you have your faith, your um, as long as you have your faith, your common um, goal and your common girth about you, about what you want to do and establish and accomplish in life, then you are able to continue on being being the person you are, building to what you want to become. And also being steadfast in the in the process of it, even though the process that you're going for doesn't kind of reflect the things that you're hoping for in the long run. You heard it here first, people. Man, Sinclair, we want to say thank you for your insight. Uh, thank you for your transparency and your vulnerability. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, man. I know this episode is going to add value and help a lot of people, man. That's the basis of it. That's the only reason. I'm doing it. And so my brother, I thank you and we're out, man. Peace. I appreciate you.